Leadership's incredibly lonely. Leaders, for the most part, are almost set up to fail. So the top three issues are always around communication. Your strap plan, as you said before, is a living, breathing document. It's not something you look at once a year. Hello, and welcome to the Traits of Effective Leaders podcast, brought to you by SG Partners. Each episode allows you to hear from real leaders of real businesses with the aim of assisting you to become even more effective at what you do. Whether you're already a leader, CEO, business owner, manager, or an entrepreneur. This exploration of leadership effectiveness covers a range of challenges you may already be experiencing yourself. Now, let's hear from our host, international speaker master, NLP practitioner, and owner of SG Partners, Michael Lane. Hello, and welcome to Traits of Effective Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lang, owner of SG Partners. So, Mr. Paul Dunlop, when I look at your CV, you've been in uh, quite a a few different organisations. Was there any logic to the types of companies that you decide to work for? Absolutely not. (laughs) Right. There's no design in any of it. Right. So you've been predominantly in manufacturing or wholesaling companies. Yes. With all the companies you've been in, which was a favourite one without mentioning names and why? Yeah, there there was probably one in particular that was probably mid-career that sort of set me on the path that I am on now. So, yeah, a national building products company. I guess gave me a lot of opportunity and, and put a lot of professional development into me. And probably at the time I sort of scratched my head and wondered why me. But yeah, so allowed me to probably bring, because I'd been a, I guess, a self-taught and self-practiced lean person from the beginnings of my career and allowed me to sort of spread my wings in that area, but also really developed me as a leader and gave me opportunity to, um, yeah, lead a big team and a cross-functional team. And right. I, I learned a lot in that role. So they certified you? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you were certifiable before, but they actually put a rubber stamp on it. And then you went into Lean in your own business and with a couple of other souls, and now you run your own business in Lean, right? Yes. Why Lean? Why Lean? Why not Lean? Lean, I guess for me... It's an interesting thing because lean means different things to different people depending on your experience and your exposure. And I think lean at its core is a people-based approach. It's a very human approach and it's a very simple approach. So when I think about my why, my why is about supporting people to have meaningful and purposeful daily work and to feel supported. And lean is philosophy, a way of thinking, a system that uh, facilitates that. So I guess as I've gone on, I continue to learn about lean. It is something, you know, it's continuous improvement. So you're always continuously learning. But to me, it it really helps people. And that's why I'm very passionate about it. I love it. Okay. And through your experience with all different clients you've had over the years, what's been the biggest aha moment that you've had when it comes down to leadership? Mm. Well, leadership for me, I'm not sure if it's one aha moment. It's probably a series. Leadership for me starts with self and self-awareness. So 
I spend a lot of time, so I work predominantly in manufacturing, but not exclusively, and I have a, a quite a diverse range of clients. And organisation by organisation, I see the same trends. It really doesn't matter, big, small, family, profit, not-for-profit, whatever, the same trends emerge. And I spend a lot of time, yes, I have a lean approach, but there's a, a holistic approach and that approach often and always involves leadership coaching because leaders for the most part are almost set up to fail because we promote people because of their technical ability and because you're technically good at a job, all of a sudden you get a promotion and you're a team leader or a supervisor or a manager and then you are now responsible for the people, the other people who are technically good at the job and it's all about people and process and we sort of go high five, good luck, hope it all goes well and really don't support or equip people with the tools to be successful. So the aha moment there is that, yep, one, there's, there's a bit of self-awareness, but it's also that leaders are not born. Leadership is a learnt skill and it takes time and it takes practice and it takes genuine support and guidance and mentoring for leaders to be successful over the long term. Totally agree with you there, Paul. But one of the challenges is if they're going to be mentored, who are they being mentored by? Mm. Does that leadership position have the self-awareness and and the skills and the competencies and the mindset to be a great leader to start with. So it's, yeah. a, it's a waterfall, right? Absolutely. And probably the saying I, I go by a lot of the time is if you know better, you do better. Right. And this simple, a lot of it is just ignorance, partly because of that. The role models in the organisation are perhaps not great and we just copy those. I think early in my career, I was talking to a client yesterday about this, is that my early leadership development was focused on more about what I didn't want to be. I had poor examples of leadership. So I, I sort of went that way. It's just, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be those things. I've worked for a, a lot of pretty ordinary leaders. So that that was sort of the framework I worked within. And then as I went along, I saw better examples of leadership and then was able to adopt some of those uh, skills and behaviours uh, into my own. Cool. So. What does a great client look like compared to a really bad one? <laughs> there's no bad ones. Um, uh, well, I'm sure in your history there's somewhere you'd like to apply <laughs> to. Right? Yeah, no, not, not everyone's a raging success. A good client is somebody who is open and willing to learn. And a good client is curious. A good client is a client that is prepared to take the leap of faith because often at the beginning it is a leap of faith into unknown territory and their ability to resource change. So you can have the best intentions and say all the right things, but when the rubber meets the road, you have to, you have to make the time. You have to make the time and invest that to be proactive and to make improvement in your business. Totally agree. So think about culture now. What is the most important aspect you need to focus on as a leader to cultivate company culture? There's a few things. It's For me, it's all about culture. It's all about people and culture. So I would say organisation by organisation, before I walk in the door, I'll, I'll know what probably the top 10 problems are and I'll certainly know what the top three are. And I was pitching to a client last week and we had a chuckle over this. I said, I, I know what your top three issues are. So the top three issues are always around communication. 
So I'll ask people in the organisation, what's the communication like? And they'll say, it's no good, it's not the right communication, it's never frequent enough, all of those sorts of things. And, of course, there's, there's reality and perception in all of this, but generally that is true. Engagement is another one. So giving people a voice. I'll, I'll always hear we've told them and them being management, we've told them 100 times and nothing ever happens or we never get any feedback. So people, people feel literally disengaged. They don't have any ownership. They don't feel like they've got any agency or responsibility over things. And the other one is performance management. So when I look at that, there's two sides to that equation. So there's positive feedback and reinforcement and acknowledgement, a thank you, a well done, any sort of reward and recognition system, as well as dealing with poor performance and, and poor behaviour. And that leaves a pretty bad taste in people's mouths when they're someone's working hard and doing the right thing and they see others in the environment not, not pulling their weight and there's there's no consequence. So for me, culture revolves probably very heavily around those three things. And if we can address those, then we're certainly going to move the needle. Cool. Totally agree with you. So let's then move on to strategy. What are the key activities needed to consistently apply to ensure people are aligned to the strategy? Aligned. Have a strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Have a strategy. I reckon that's... Not, not really... just in your head. One yeah. hand down as well. <laughs> Because that's a really, really good start. So have a strategy. It's also have a very clear and simple strategy because what well, this time of year, that's what people are doing and we come up with these laundry lists of stuff that we're going to do in the next 12 months and none of it ever happens. It gets diluted because it's just a, a wish list. So a strategy for me needs to be very clear. It needs to be very simple. Strategy must by, be owned by everybody in the organisation, it's not just a, a top-down, this is this is what we're going to do. So there needs to be, so in, in the lean world, we talk about Hoshin Canary, which is, you know, business plan deployment. And, and through that process, we play catch ball. So we essentially develop the strategy at a high level and then we cascade it down and we give people a, a say to give their thoughts and feedback on what, what they think of that strategy and is that going to work. So it's top down and bottom up from that point of view and that's really how we get the engagement. Strategy needs to be broken down. So typically with my clients, I'll have a, be a three to five year vision, there'll be a 12 month strategic plan that'll be broken down into quarterly 90 day cycles and then it'll be at a granular level, day to day, week to week. We'll be very clear around, you know, using tools like leader standard work and those sorts of things that people's time and priorities are always aligned with the long-term strategic goals. And that becomes a decision-making process. So for me, that's kind of the core elements of good strategy. When you said that people need to own it or buy in, how would you know that's a good question. Well, you know because they live it, they take action on it. And the other part of that is that they understand it. So again, the goals, the KPIs, the objectives, are again, are they clearly defined? Do people understand why those things are important? What is the meaning behind those measures? So again, coming back to the purpose and the meaning behind those things, it's again, it's not just a number. There's a, a reason why that number is important. It could be a, a cost driver, it could be a growth driver or whatever it is. That's the important part is that there's real understanding there and they can talk to that. So one of the challenges that I've come across is you know, leadership will release a strategy at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the financial year. 
I go, yeah, we've released it. Away everyone goes. And then when we're getting engaged, we said, no, we don't think people get the strategy. I told them once. <laughs> yes. Wouldn't that be enough? I guess from a lean point of view, we're focused on creating visual workplaces. So sometimes I just forget that not everybody thinks in that way. So the strategy is there in people's faces every single day and we're talking to it every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. So that communication is it's not just that, that once-off verbal, it's repetition and practice every single day. Totally agree. So what are the three core leadership traits you think are important to be a great leader? Core. Core. <laughs> I'm going to I bet you've got a whole list. But yeah, of course I've got a whole list. I'm going to struggle to break it down to three. How about six? <laughs> well, one, self-awareness. You've already talked about that, right? Yeah, self-awareness, humility, empathy, accountability, perseverance, integrity, drive. Hang on. Um, hang on. I said three. Come on. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. You can only have three. I can't do it. I should. Um, so humility, empathy. Accountability, I'll give you those three. And maybe we can break those down a bit. Humility is probably self-awareness. You can throw that in there. Again, if we go back to core lean principles, it comes down to respect for people and that leaders, it is absolutely fundamental that leaders have that, so respect for other people and their goal is to live in service of their people and their team. Of course, you know, we talk about clarity, so there, there has to be clear direction. There needs to be a clearly defined approach and expectations in the environment. But then the leader's role is really to give those people the tools, whatever those tools might be, to be able to succeed, the tools and the support. Do you find some leaders struggle with the alignment of empathy and accountability? Yes. <laughs> it's not natural for many people, depending on their own behavioural characteristics. And I think a lot of leaders have got to a point in their career because of a certain approach. And it's that sort of old adage of, well, what got you here won't get you there. And so they have to often have a, you know, some watershed, look in the mirror type moments to yes. assess where they're at. And that's that's really difficult, that vulnerability side of things. And often I'm having to work with people and take them through that journey. There's a lot of therapy <laughs> involved in that. But I guess I've been on that same journey. I've got the the bumps to prove it and there's no judgment in, in any of that. It's curiosity. And it's just showing a different way. I mean, I, I can model that there. We can talk about those things. They, you know, people need to be able to get out there and practice and, and learn. Again, that's all part of the, the continuous improvement methodology. So, yeah, it's... It, sometimes it is very unnatural, but I guess what a lean approach does is it, it creates a structure to practice and develop those habits. So as human beings, we're really great at crap habits and we we really struggle to develop new habits and good habits and stick to that. Yeah. And that's really the challenge for leaders. One of the challenges I have, Paul, is because the word has been used so often for so long and people have a certain meaning around it, um, as soon as you mention the word accountability, they see it in a negative perspective, don't they? Mm, they do. I'm constantly trying to figure out another word to use with the same outcome, and I struggle. Mm, I'm probably the same because, it, yeah, it certainly does have negative connotations. Uh, there's punitive outcomes and, and consequences that people think. I see accountability as a, as a positive 
because again, accountability just helps to shine a light on things. It good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. And I think I try to be very, I guess in, in the lean world, we talk a lot about standards. Stand, a standard is the ultimate accountability. It's the ultimate point of reference because what we're defining is what should happen, what's the expectation in an environment. And then we're looking at what's actually happening, what's going on. And that is accountability. And that accountability looks like when it's when it's going well, when it's going to expectation, what are the things that we need to keep doing? Because often we don't consider that. We just neglect the, the stuff that works well. We need to look at then the, the, the deviations in the environment. Again, whether it's the process, whether it's behaviour and performance, whatever that might be. And it's really to open up a conversation. It's not to point the finger and apportion blame because, again, if we're coming at this from empathy and a a supportive servant-based leadership, then we're genuinely curious as to what the problems or the issues or the deviations might be so we can correct. So, again, when that's involving human beings, that might be training. It might be giving, again, people the tools and the, the requirements of the job. It might be actually just giving them some expectation because they might not know. So, there's a, again, I'm interested in having the conversation and opening up and being curious around that. Me too. What are the number one lessons you have learned from people's failures? I joke with my clients that I've spent a career based on failure. 80% of my career has been messing up. Do you actually use the word failure or mistakes or learnings? What, what do you yeah. use? I say failure. Okay. It's not a dirty word. We have to get over that because, again, when we're talking continuous improvement, most of it is failure. Most of it is failure, but it, it's failure. There's a structured failure that's based on learning what doesn't work. So life is all about experiments. And I think we're born learners. And we're born to be resilient around failure, but it gets conditioned out of us through our education and through our workplaces. And almost, you know, I guess what I do is decondition people and and recondition them in that this is the expectation and it's fun. So I guess around failure, I think we have to create safe environments where it's okay. It's okay to fail. And actually we want you to fail because in that failure is, is the growth and the learning. Giving things a go, you know, fosters vulnerability and that's what we want. So in those safe environments, we want people to feel that there's no silly questions or there's no kind of weird or wacky suggestions and ideas because that's where the good stuff is. That's where innovation lies. So failure, again, is, you know, like they say, fail quickly but learn. And it, again, like I said, it, it's doing it in a, in a structured and methodical manner. So in the lean world, we talk about plan, do, check, adjust, and we follow Deming's cycle. So we have some data, we have some information. We're not just assuming things. We're not just flying off and joining the dots. And I'm reading Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow at the moment. And again, that's how we as human beings go. We just jump to conclusions and make it up. We need some science behind what we're doing. Sometimes it's, we don't know what the end result will be, but we have an expectation and then we have to be open to learning. So I guess the long and the short of it is just creating environments where failure is okay. And in many respects, failure is expected and failure is not a bad thing. It's just an opportunity to grow and learn. Would you go so far, Paul, say failure is celebrated? Yes. Learning is celebrated. And yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because, you know, you're talking back through the school years, you know, we're conditioned, as you said, that if you get a a lower mark than this, then that's deemed as a failure. 
yeah. and it's emphasised in red. Uh, as a parent, when your children aren't going as well, how do you articulate mm. that, right? So it's a challenge because it is that conditioning and it's about that awareness of that conditioning and then willing to break it, right? So, yeah. you know, everything that we do in the change management space, like yourselves, it is to say, no, you're not going to get it right the first time and that's okay. It's getting up and doing it again, just like when we learned to ride a bike, right? Yeah. You know, first time we fell off, did our parents say, that's it, you're not going to ride a bike now? Well, no, actually, they support us to get back on the bike, right? And so how do we as leaders support that? And that's the challenge for us because if we haven't had recent episodes of that ourselves, then the old conditioning comes back. Yeah, and I think it comes back to just making it habitual behaviour. So building that into the day-to-day work and, again, making that the expectation. And it's also when we're looking at success and failure, it's not good and bad. It just is. It's, it's an outcome. It's an outcome of the process. What I'm interested in is building robust processes, whether that's in our daily routines, whether that's in our workflows, whatever it might be. It is all about the process. And that's the other bit of failure is not it's not personal failure. <laughs> it's the failure of a process and we change the process, we change the script, whatever it might be. So again, in our personal lives, as much as our business lives, if we're not getting the outcomes that we desire, it's a result of the process that we have in place. And from a psychology perspective, Paul, we say, if you want a different outcome, ask yourself a different question. Because mm. if you keep asking yourself the same question, you'll keep getting the same answer. Yeah, or repeating the same behaviours. And I hear the word hope so many times in the word. Hopefully it gets better. Hopefully it changes. Well, no, it's not. You have agency and control over these outcomes. Do something different. And I always say if if nothing changes, nothing changes. Well, you know what? I say if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. But I change that to say because everything around you is changing. So you actually get less. Mm. you'll actually get less keep doing what you've always done and you'll get less because we found that out last year right you saw that coming covid comes and suddenly if you keep doing what you've always done you will actually get less yeah absolutely and some people made great pivots unbelievable pivots and, and they did really well out of it and i think there's an interesting point there is that i think during the change process when i come along and start to challenge the status quo is that the immediate response is we need more people and we need better technology and bigger, better machines in, in manufacturing, whatever it might be. And I'm always challenging, well, how about let's push the limits of what you've already got and then let, let's just see. And people have these self-imposed limits, again, in their business and personally. And when the back's to the wall and you've got no choice, it is amazing what you can achieve. Yeah. And we saw that last year. I rebuilt my own business through last year because I had no choice. And so that open mindset and that mindset of being okay with failure and having, I guess, a a bit of a stoic approach that whatever happens is good. It's happening for me, not to me. And, you know, being able to work through that step by step because things can be, last year was, was overwhelming. Often business can be overwhelming. And again, I think if we develop a clear way forward and we break that down into small steps and we're okay with a a failure here and there, then we're going to be in a, a pretty good place. 
Want to get weekly industry insights, experiences, leadership and sales tips? Sign up now to receive our newsletter at sgpartners.com.au. Paul, when it comes to change management or transformation programs, besides creating a safe environment for failure and learning, is there anything else that companies need to be really focused on? It's about bringing people along for the ride, you know, the old thing of getting everybody on the bus. But often change, again, is just driven top down. There's no ownership at the lower levels of the organisation or understanding of the, I guess, the why. Why do we need to change? We have to have that purpose and meaning there. I think the other thing with change, and I think as an agent of change, it's about pace. So you can't just keep the foot flat to the floor the whole time. You have to know when to let off and to let things plateau and, and let the dust settle. And I'm all about pushing my clients hard, but I have to know when to back off and just let things go. So I think pace is, is really, really important because I see a lot of organisations that I call it strategic overburden. There's we're just dumping more and more and more change. Sometimes it's change for the, the sake of change. It's change for looking like we're doing something. And people are just so overwhelmed and overburdened and everything, again, just gets diluted. Nothing really gets seen through. And we just have to be mindful of that. It's that the amount of change, the pace of change and ensuring that we're bringing everybody along for the right. I mean, it's, it's, it's common sense, but it, I see it just happen over and over again. What's common sense ain't common practice. That's right. <laughs> and there's, there's not a lot of sense in that commonness, right? Yeah. Because um, as you said earlier on, you know, what you do lean is, is simple and yet not a lot of people do it, right? Yeah. Because it takes that consistent, reflective, proactive engagement and it takes a high-quality leader to understand that and then it takes a high-quality organisation to have the right, right pace as you're talking about. It's very hard to have the, the discipline to stay the course. That's what I always say separates success, mediocrity and, and failure in, in any, whether it's lean or whatever, whatever change process, it doesn't matter. You need to be disciplined around it. Totally agree because it gets hard and when it gets hard, people start complaining and then you want to make it easy for them so you back off. But, you know, as soon as people start to get frustrated, that's when the aha moments are going to happen. That's where you're going to have your breakthrough, right? You want to hear the frustration. You want to feel the frustration. Yeah, absolutely. And then that, you know, sometimes I'll deliberately create crisis to get that to happen. But most people I find in organisation use that word frustration. We talk about waste in in lean, but that's what it is. Day-to-day, people shouldn't have to come to work and deal with frustration, their process should work. They should have supportive leadership. They should have the information they need. They should have the tools that they need. But day to day, people come to work and have to deal with frustrations that they simply shouldn't have to. Yes, totally agree. So, Paul, tell me, you're all about people, process and play. Tell me about this Lego serious play. Are you a Lego fanatic, are you? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I spend most of my time vacuuming off the floor. Um, <laughs> my kids have it everywhere. So Lego Serious Play is a tool that I've come to over the last 18 months. So it all sounds a bit novel and silly, but it's actually quite a, a powerful tool. I'm, I'm not sure what you know of it, but um, I guess I, I had a, a colleague in New Zealand, Rob Bull, who's a, is a lean guy, and he started using it and I saw 
some of his posts on LinkedIn. I was, I was a bit curious. I'm like, what's, what's he doing here? So some of my lean simulations use Lego, but this was something different. And so we started talking about it and then I went through my accreditation, yeah, this time last year with a guy called Michael Fern in Melbourne. And so Lego Serious Play is essentially, it was a tool developed by the Lego group and they used it in-house for, you know, strategy and, and vision and problem solving and those sorts of things. So it's really just a riff on, on brainstorming. And the methodology is that, There'll be an objective, there'll be a set of questions and a Lego model will be built in response to a question. So it might be a, a question with a, an individual or with a, a team and the question might be, what does good leadership look like in your organisation? And the participants will build a you know, three or four minutes to build a Lego model. And so how I guess how that differs from conventional group sessions is that Generally, it'll be that position of power will get the, the say or the loudest voice or whoever will dominate the conversation. Other people will sit back and it's, it's not a democratic process, whereas Lego Series Play means that people have actually built, you know, sometimes people aren't great at articulating or verbalising yes. what it is. So they can build a model and then tell a story about that model. So then they can respond to the question and, and, and talk about this model. It, again, it, it creates that state of play. It's democratic. Even if people, you said to people, draw something, people immediately go, I can't draw. People can join a few plastic bricks together and it doesn't need to look like anything, but it's theirs and they can tell a story. So it's really democratic from that point of view. And yeah. the, It's part of the Gestalt metal model, right? It's taking it out of your head and making it real in front of you with your hands. Right, yep. as part of it, and and the other interesting thing though is when there is discussion, the discussion is aimed at the object. Yes, that you created, not you. Yeah, right. So it's easier for you to then interact with that discussion. Yeah, because the eyes are focused on the object, not you. Yes, and they say listening with your eyes. Yeah, which I think is a really cool way of putting it. And that, yeah, that's exactly right. And it's interesting because even though through the the building of the model and maybe it's not really making sense and and I'll just say just build just put it together and it'll make sense and then as they talk about it and they talk to the model you know a green brick might be a green brick but a green brick might have meaning in terms it could be growth so we're always talking in in metaphors and we're able to tell really powerful stories around that so there's an individual component and then often what we'll do in a session is then the team will build a, a shared model with the component parts of their own models and then they're starting to, I guess, have some, some much deeper conversation again. There's some negotiation around all that. And they're coming up with a, a shared vision and a shared goal or a shared right. response, whatever it might be. Do you go so far as get them to link up their model physically with someone else's model? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So they, that's they a great anchor then. Yeah. And then we can start putting in connections and agents. So what are the positive influencing factors here? What are the negatives? What are the risks? Da, 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 yes. da. So you can get through a lot really, really quickly and really get to the, the core of a lot of issues. And it's, yeah, it's extremely powerful from that point of view. Like I said. And, and for Lego, it promotes Lego. So it's a great idea, right? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're I love it. That. That's yeah. great. Well done um, to you. Yeah, so I use that. 
a lot for coaching. If we have a, you know, it's not a one size fits all. So it has to be the right application like any other tool I use. So um, yeah, I've found it really complements what I do. It really sits well with the the lean and the visual aspect. Nice. So yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, so let's finish off with a couple of questions. If I was a manufacturer, why should I consider lean? Because it will change absolutely everything in your organisation <laughs> for the wow. better. I've got to have some of that then. That's why. Yeah, absolutely. However, it's going to take some time and effort to get there. So I think, again, a lot of people approach lean like it's the magic wand and everything's going to be better in six months. It's not. It will take time. It often is a big change in, in thinking for an organisation. At the same time, I always say it's not, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater because most organisations are doing 80% of things really well because they have a business, they have a great product or service, they have great customers. What we're looking to do with Lean is just make that better. And often organisations, again, whether it's manufacturing or not, work too hard to get to the end result and you don't need to. Right. And I think, again, there's there's a lot of conditioning there when you come back to leaders and individuals that we we have to be busy and we have to be solving problems and firefighting all day and, and that's the badge of honour. It's not a lean environment is calm. You know, I have that chaos to calm tagline. That's why, because most organisations are in some state of chaos and there is another way. It's not a panacea, but you can be in control of your business, it can be calm and you can have time and space to get the job done and be proactive. So that's why you do lean. So I've decided to do lean. Why would I choose you to help me? Ah, again, why wouldn't you choose me? Like I said, lean, depending on your background and experience, will mean different things. So I guess there's a lot of people in my space that have come out of the automotive industry so the, the ex-Toyota or Ford or GM or maybe they're from Bosch or Danaher or whoever. So people like that have, have come out of a very, very mature system and only know a mature system. I guess my approach is that most clients I work with, I'm starting from the ground up. Of course, I've worked in mature environments, but I guess where I come at things is that I know what it takes to go from zero to, to hero, so to speak. The other part of that is my experience. I've, I've come from the shop floor. I've worked my way up. So I've walked in everybody's shoes, really, understand what their problems are. And I keep lean very simple because we can get caught up in the, the tools and the Japanese buzzwords and all those sorts of things. And it's, real, it's a real distraction from what it is we're trying to achieve. It is a, it is a common sense approach. It's a very simple approach. And I try and keep it very practical and, and relatable. And often I'll be third man up. There'll be... Most clients have had at least one or two goes at lean. Oh, right. And okay. I have to sort of sweep up the mess and <laughs> start again and almost, again, teach them more about what lean isn't than what lean is. So, yeah, that, again, I'm not for everyone. Everyone's not for me. But, again, it's a practical and simple approach. Well, thank you, Mr. Paul. Appreciate your time here. No, you're welcome, Michael. Um, appreciate you having me on. Thank you. You have been listening to the Traits of Effective Leaders podcast, a show which shares insights, experiences, and lessons learned by an incredible lineup of real business leaders. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review or share the show with a friend. To get the show notes from today's episode, go to sgpartners.com.au forward slash podcast. 
Don't want to miss a single episode? Sign up to be notified when the next one drops. Thank you so much for listening.